You are listening to the Center Church Podcast. Center Church is an unapologetic urban church in the heart of Richmond for the heart of Richmond. Our mission is simple, to empower people towards a life-giving journey with Jesus. Enjoy the podcast. Okay, well, good morning. Good morning. It's so good to see you all. And I just want to say, um, anyone who moved from their seat to another seat when Stephen made that call, I just want to thank you because that is a big deal. In any church, in any place, just to move from one seat to another, but particularly for the holy cause of making room for other people. Thank you. Thank you for that. Okay. Well, today, oh, I get to do this. Oh, okay. Singing still masks, but oh, all right. Uh, well, Again, good morning. My name is Drew Wilson, and I am a pastor of Boulevard United Methodist and one of the pastors in this lovely, beautiful community that we are sharing, Center Church and Boulevard and new guests. Um, it's so lovely to be with you all. Today, I would really love for us to talk about changing our minds, changing our minds. What does it take to change your mind? What does it take to change your mind? Uh, personal story. Until I was 22 years old, I had made up my mind that I did not like tomatoes or mushrooms. Amen. Okay. All right. Um, tomato sauce was okay, right? Tomato sauce was okay, but tomatoes intact, no thanks. And mushrooms in any form, forget about it. Forget about it. Uh, but one morning at a church music conference in London, England, where they do things a little differently, I came down to breakfast where they served a big mushroom <laughs> sitting inside a stewed tomato <laughs> for breakfast. Good morning to you too. All right? And I said out loud as I stared at this thing, I said, well, this ends here, <laughs> and I ate my breakfast, and it changed my mind. Still not my favorite breakfast, but, but that changed my mind. What does it take to change your mind about food? What does it take to change your mind about preferences? What does it take to change your mind about people? Why does it take to change your mind about people? You know, that was actually the first experience that I ever personally described as grace. If you've ever heard the theological term grace, the first thing I ever called grace was when I was a teenager, I had a tendency to make up my mind about people. I mean, I was just sure I had people pegged down. Uh, but then when I got to know them, right, when I got to know them, I learned that there was so much more to them than I had in mind, and that changed my mind. To have been wrong and to have been corrected, transformed, it was grace. It changed my heart and my life. It changed my mind. There's a word in Scripture that is oftenly trans, sorry, often translated into English as repent. You may have heard repent like, repent, the end is near, repent, sinners. Well, the word in Greek, because 
So much of the New Testament written in Greek, the word in Greek is metanoia, and metanoia just means change. Change. It doesn't mean feel judged. It doesn't mean feel bad about yourself. The word repent, metanoia, just means change. Change your heart and life. And because sometimes a mental shift comes first, I wonder then, before even asking or telling you, change your heart and life, I just want to know, what does it take to change your mind? There are two parts to our Bible reading that Jocelyn just read. Two parts to our Bible reading today, and both parts deal with change, genuine change. And the first part of our reading is this conversation between Jesus and some people about tragic news of the day, tragic news of that particular time, and Jesus tells people that they need to change their lives. That's the first part of the story. And today, we live with what can feel like an onslaught of tragic news. It just feels like it keeps on coming. So we should pay attention to this story. And in the, in the second part of our scripture reading, Jesus tells this story about a fruitless fig tree and the kind of tending that it takes to change and bear fruit. And today, we may look at our lives and we may wonder whether we are bearing any good fruit in our lives. And so we should pay attention. So can we talk about fig trees? Can we talk about some fig trees? Are there any gardeners in the house? Wow. One, two, three. All right. I'm so glad you all are here, maybe. Uh, to our master gardeners, I need your help today. Um, I am not a gardener, but I'm going to share what I learned in my research about the fruit of Ficus carica, the fig tree. And if I am sounding right when I'm talking about fig trees, could you all just nod your heads in agreement? <laughs> and if I am completely wrong, can you let me know later? Yeah. <laughs> all right? You know what I'm saying? Thank you so much for that. All right. Okay, first off, first off, um, and Brianna, I want to thank you, Brianna, for uh, hosting at the computer here. Brianna, could we see a fig tree? Here it comes, we think. Yes, thank you so much. Okay, this is a wild fig tree on a mountainside in Iran. And perhaps you can tell that it's not a huge tree. It's a bit more like a large bush. But a lot of people grow uh, fig trees in pots like this one. And this one here, this is a well-tended fig tree. You can see some light green figs spread out on it. But on a wild, untended fig tree, kind of like the first one we saw, then we can see it produce very different fruit. And here's an example of wild figs. That looks pretty different. See how they're clumped together? They're smaller. They don't look as healthy. And these particular figs would not be very yummy. They are wild figs on a wild fig tree that has not been tended by a gardener. And so as we learn in the story, fig trees can require a lot of care, a lot of care. Without care, without careful tending, fig trees are very undisciplined. Let me say that again. Fig trees are very undisciplined because fig trees can spend all of their water, all of their nutrients 
growing lots and lots of branches and lots and lots of leaves and lots of these little figs that never really ripen. They spend so much energy on all this excess stuff that they don't focus their energy on fully developing fruit. So fig trees have to be thinned out. They have to be cultivated. They have to be pruned. Unnecessary branches need to be cut off so that the, so that the fig tree can focus its energy on good branches and good fruit. And here is a clear-cut example. No pun intended. The, the prime branches that you see there, they are cultivated to grow horizontal to the ground so that new branches are cultivated to grow straight up toward the sunlight. You can see these little offshoots here that they've been totally cut. And then look at that. See, they grow straight up. This, I mean, this is serious tending to a fig tree, right? And here's what it can become. Now that all of the excess has been pruned, the fruit can grow to fullness. Now that the excess has been pruned, the fruit can grow to fullness. Okay. So Jesus tells this story about a fig tree, right? And he tells a story about this landowner who is looking to enjoy a fresh fig from his fig tree, but the fig has no edible fruit. The fig tree has no edible fruit. And the landowner is just fed up. He says, this tree never delivers. Cut it down already. What a waste of space. But the gardener knows that a fig tree takes work. And he says, give it one more year, and I will take extra care. And if it bears fruit, that's great. And if it doesn't, then cut it down. Now, this story has sometimes been read as though we are the fig tree, supposed to bear fruit. We're the fig tree, and God is the landowner lashing out at us. And Jesus is the gardener pleading, no, no, I'll step in so that you won't cut them down in your anger. But that is not really what we get from Jesus in the telling of the story. Jesus' emphasis is not on God's anger. Rather, Jesus cares about this question of whether we are bearing good fruit in our lives because our time is limited. Because our time is limited. Did you know that? We, we die. Mortality. It's tough. But our time is limited. So in the time you have, what kind of fruit are you producing? Oh, deep sigh. Amen, brother. In the time you have, what kind of fruit are you producing? Is your life sweet to the taste? Does it nourish the world around you? Is it sour? Is it bitter? Where is all your energy directed? Is it focused? Is it wasted? Do you need some pruning? What would it take to change? What would it take to change? We get a clearer application of this question in the first part of our reading. Let's go back to the first part of our story. Remember, Jesus is having this conversation with some people about tragic news of the day. 
And then Jesus tells them that they need to change their lives. And the tragic news, if you caught it, here you go. The tragic news is that some Jewish people went from Galilee to Jerusalem in order to make sacrifices at the temple, just doing some good religious things to do. And on their way, the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, has killed them. It's horrible news. It's really, really horrible news. Just a horrible tragedy. And people are being people. They are all abuzz about these news headlines. And they seem to be offering up ideas about why these things happened. Right? Oh, there's a second part. Another piece of tragedy. Uh, 18 people died when this tower of Siloam in southwest Jerusalem just fell on them. It just fell. It's, it's a tragedy. Nobody, like, pushed it over. It just fell horrible tragedy, and people are kind of gossiping. They're, they're talking about these news headlines. They're offering up ideas about why these things happened, and we do this sometimes, right? We do this maybe when we hear about someone suffering. There's a part of us that says, mm, I wonder why. What did they do to deserve that? Someone was in a car accident, right? Well, I wonder if they were texting. Someone got sick. Hmm. Wonder it has to do with their lifestyle. Hmm. In other words, the cause of their calamity must be some sin, something that they brought on themselves, some way that their lives are out of line. But Jesus says, you, you think these things are about sin and God is just punishing people for it? No. No. He says, those Galileans that Pilate killed were not worse sinners than anyone else from Galilee. Jesus is from Galilee. His disciples are from Galilee. Ooh. And those people who were killed when the tower fell, they were no worse than anyone else living in Jerusalem. But then Jesus says, unless you change your hearts and lives, you'll be as good as dead already. And then he tells this story about a fruitless fig tree that looks alive, but it's as good as dead. And it's running out of time to change. Okay, so what could all of this mean? On one hand, it sounds kind of like Jesus is dismissing our cheap explanations of why bad things happen. Hear this. Political murders and falling towers are not God's way of punishing people. That matters. The next time that some televangelist says that a hurricane is divine retribution for something that they don't like, you remember Jesus saying, no, no. Because on the other hand, Jesus is telling people who speculate and get stuck on tragedy that it's time to change their lives. Otherwise, they are as dead as the people they're grieving. Jesus is telling people who speculate and get stuck on tragedy that it's time to change their lives. Otherwise, they are as dead as the people they are grieving. Because grief, grieving, grief is part of the heart of getting stuck, right? Today, we have so much news to grieve. 
So much news to grieve. War in Ukraine, transphobia in Texas schools and laws, homophobia in Florida schools and laws, white supremacy in the halls of power, two years of pandemic, changes in church life, changes in personal life. There is no change without loss. And so we grieve. So we grieve. And sometimes we grieve well. Sometimes our cut places, remember that fig tree? Sometimes our cut places find some new growth. And sometimes we grieve not so well. Sometimes we, we cause more grief. Sometimes like people talking with Jesus in our story, sometimes we too, we get stuck in grief, spinning our wheels, rehearsing our judgy explanations of why. And we can put so much energy into unnecessary leaves and branches that block out the light, and we do not bear good fruit. We need to change. We need to change. In the seventh season of the BBC period drama, Call the Midwife, um, it's November 1963, and the nurse midwives have been deeply grieving the loss of one of their own. But then all at once, there's this rush of new babies born. It's this surge of joy among the midwives. An emotional roller coaster they've experienced. And so they gather to celebrate this glorious change. Then someone enters the room and says, President Kennedy's been shot. And suddenly it's like all of the air has gone right back out of the room. But elderly Sister Monica Joan pushes back. And she says, we have mourned enough in recent weeks. We have shed tears for one we loved and lived in the hollow she left behind. We cannot surrender to more tears because of this. We are leaping into grief as if we have embraced it as a form of recreation. We are not what we have lost. We are not what has been taken from us. You are all too willing to embrace the void. If you do not cherish what remains, you will all become as nothing. You will be nothing. We are not broken. We are each as whole as we will ever be again. Friends, we, we live in a culture that leaps into grief. Thanks to constant news and social media, we are hyper aware of things to be sad about. It never ends. And sometimes it is too much. It's just too much. Just two months ago, it was like we were in national mourning for Bob Saget. I mean, lovely person. But it's like we were about to fly flags at half-mast. It's too much. If someone here is related to Bob Saget, let me know later. <laughs> okay. And this season of Lent is often mistaken as a season for leaping into grief through self-denial. No. 
While Lent is a season for pruning, for cultivating the spiritual life, yes, for following Jesus to the cross, we cannot ignore that Lent is also the road to Easter, to new life, to fresh fruit on the vine. The word Lent comes from the Anglo-Saxon lengthen, the word for the lengthening of days, the warming and brightening of spring. This is not a miserable season, y'all. All the world is changing around us, not stuck in winter's losses, but trusting in the promise of the pruning. Trusting in the promise of the pruning. You and I, we are invited into the change. We are being set free to change our hearts and our lives. If you are feeling stuck in grief, what would it take to change your mind? What would it take to change your mind? Could you, choose, could you choose to follow Jesus on this Lenten way of pruning and new growth, of death and resurrection? Could you choose to open your minds and hearts and lives to God's people around you? Could you give your time, your energy, the time that you have to bearing the good fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Three opportunities. Three opportunities. First, if you need help turning away from your grief-filled news feed, This coming Wednesday, March 23rd, is our first weekly Wednesday dinner. Bring your dinner and just come sit on the lawn and eat with God's people. No agenda, just time together under God's sky. Watch it rain, right? (laughs) Second opportunity. And I mean, that's just about opening up our lives to each other. Second opportunity, and as someone carrying a lot of grief right now, I'll tell you that, I'm carrying a lot of grief right now, I do not say this lightly, okay? But could you ask yourself, what could it look like to give up some of your grief for Lent? What could it look like to give up some of your grief for Lent? To prune your screen time? to talk with a trusted friend or therapist or pastor and thin out some of your grief. Third, and finally, could you join me in learning to sing a new song? Uh, This is a song that asks question after question about what we would be willing to choose to leave in our familiar routines, in our stuck ways to follow Christ into life. I invite the band to come up. The song asks over and over again, what would you be willing to leave? Would you do that to follow Christ into life? What does it take to change your mind? What does it take to change your mind? And whatever it is, may God be...